I've got a completely free hand on, on what to talk about. And um, what I'd like to do is just to pick up uh, one verse, uh, or one sentence, in fact, um, from a verse in Ecclesiastes. Um, but hopefully we'll, uh, we'll come on to that in just a moment or two. Um, hopefully you'll lose a picture of me and you'll gain something much more attractive any second. Um, before we do that, I just want to think about um, a little bit just the power of words or the power of slogans. Um, I think there are some phrases or there are some um, slogans that we hear about that actually take on a power all of their own. They take on something beyond the words that they actually say. Um, They can be a very simple phrase. They can be something that's repeated. But what they are is they're something that can actually start a movement. They can start things changing um, throughout. Um, Politics is is one good example. I'm not sure we're going to get these pictures up in time, but we won't worry, we'll just carry on. Um, Politics is one example where we might might find a slogan. So um, we had a picture of Donald Trump with his 2018 US presidential campaign. Anyone remember what Donald Trump's slogan was? Yeah, make America great. Some put again on, but that's what it was. How about... um, the Conservatives' 1979 general election. Oh, we're, we're on. Thank you. Where was that? That's the one. We're still not moving. Can you move us on a couple, if they'd be so kind? How about um, Tony Blair's triumphal entrance music? Anyone remember that? Yeah, things can only get better. Yeah. I'm making no comment. That's what it was. Um, and what about Barack Obama with his first U.S. presidential campaign? Yes, we can. Exactly right. <laughs> okay, but politics aren't the only um, aren't the only place where we come across a slogan um, or a phrase. And there are other things that we have in life that you don't realise it, but they start to to change the way that we think. They start to change the the culture um, of how we live. So, anyone tell me what that is? What's the slogan goes with that? Okay, it's amazing how you get indoctrinated, isn't it? How about this one? Exactly. Okay, finger licking good. And who says advertising doesn't work? Hey, we all know those things, don't we? We all know that those slogans, and they have a power beyond the actual words. They become part of what we are. Now, the Bible's not like that. The Bible doesn't have slogans as such, but it does have some verses and some sentences which are so incredibly powerful that they have that same power to start a force or a movement for good. So if I would say to you, for God so loved the world, is probably, exactly, I was going to say, it's probably one of those verses that we all know but actually has that power to start something that's beyond those few words that are in there. And what I wanted us to do this morning is look at another verse, much, much less known than that, but it's something that, for me at least, has that same power. It has the power to start something. Um, The reason I chose it is it's a life verse for me. It comes from a passage that was actually very meaningful to me when I was going through quite a difficult time. Um, And the words of this particular verse were something that resonated deep within my soul. And because of that, it's sort of become one of my life verses. It's a verse I go back to again and again and again. It's a strange verse in a way. You'll see in a minute. Um, 
But I think it's the sort of sentence that has the power to start a movement. And that movement is to combat loneliness. And what we're going to look at this morning is loneliness and friendship. Um, So if you have your Bible with you, um, can you turn with me to Ecclesiastes? It's page 670 um, from the Church Bibles. And we're going to be in chapter 4. And I'm just reading two verses, verse 9 and 10. I'll put it on the screen as well, so if you haven't got a Bible, don't be too concerned. Okay, so Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, we read this. It says, two are better than one, because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity the person who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. And what I'd like to do this morning is just really focus on that one sentence in red, that phrase in red, but pity the person who falls and has no one to help them up. I think for me, it's a a sentence that evokes a sense of someone really being without deep friendship, without having a support network, without having someone to be able to help them. It's not about being on your own. Um, I don't know about you, I'm an introvert, I enjoy time on my own and I need time on my own. But it actually speaks of loneliness, which I think is something completely different from being on your own. Loneliness has all sorts of faces. It can have all sorts of causes. Um, it may start maybe with a bereavement. It may start with a divorce. It may start because somebody's moved and they're now isolated. It may start because you're shy or you have a lack of opportunity <clears throat> or you have the inability just to establish and make simple friendships. But what we do know about loneliness is absolutely no regard for position or age. It affects all people in all generations in all parts of our land. And God's people are not exempt. Um, If we look back in the Bible, we can see examples of people who were lonely. David, for example, was very well acquainted with loneliness. And he records some of his feelings and some of his emotions in the Psalms. Um, Psalm 25, for example, um, verses 16 to 21, is one area where he picks that up. Jeremiah was another who suffered from loneliness. The Lord told Jeremiah not to marry, He had very few friends, and often Bible scholars will call him the weeping prophet. Um, And again, Jeremiah chapter 15 captures some of the pain and loneliness and suffering that Jeremiah had in his life. And again, in Isaiah 53, we read about the prophecy of Jesus. It says, he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hid their faces... He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. So Jesus knew that pain of loneliness too, even crying out on the cross, why have you forsaken me? So what I'd like to do this morning, first of all, is just to set the scene, um, sharing a couple of statistics and a few stories um, before we explore what the Bible says about loneliness, but more importantly, what the Bible says about its solution, which is friendship. So let's start with the younger end um, of our age spectrum. So this is those between 16 and 24. 
So this survey carried out by the BBC found that 40% of people aged between 16 and 24 reported feelings of loneliness either often or very often. Now that might be surprising, isn't it, for an age group that can often measure their social media friends in the hundreds, but which still feels lonely. The head of research at Youthscape, which is a Christian organisation working with young people, said this, when you're a young person, your peer group is really important and your perception of yourself is informed by how you think you are viewed. So you're actually quite sensitive to feeling rejected, feeling left out, feeling alone, feeling misunderstood because you're at a time of your life when you are looking for affirmation and belonging. Pity the person who has no one to help them up. We should remain really thankful in our church that that our young people have real friendships and that's part of what Boys and Girls Brigade camps are doing this weekend. They're building friendships, they're building support networks, they're learning those social skills that are needed to develop and manage relationships. But it's not not just the young who suffer from loneliness. Let me just read you three short accounts from people in different stages of their life that have all suffered from loneliness. I'm going to start with a new mum and a story that was recently carried by the Guardian newspaper. According to new research by the British Red Cross and the Co-op, over 80% of mums under 30 feel lonely some of the time, while over 40% are lonely often or always. Of course they are, writes this young mum. When your family are at work... When you're still knitting your body back together after childbirth. When your friends don't know how to change a nappy and you can't afford a babysitter. When your partner is too tired to talk to you after a day at work. When you're too shy to walk up to pram-pushing strangers in the street. When a place at nursery costs as much as your rent. When you've had no sleep and you've lost your nerve. Of course you stay at home. Of course you get lonely. She goes on to say, the hallmarks of loneliness still catching my throat. The small plate of biscuits drying out on the side table at 9am in desperate anticipation for your one visitor who isn't going to come until at least 5pm when they knock off work. The two long chats with the woman at the shop who politely asks your child's age and is the only person you've spoken to all day long who doesn't have dribble on their chin. Pity the person who has no one to help them up. What about this story from someone who's a little bit older? This is a woman aged 44. She said, My loneliness takes me by surprise at times. I can be driving along and see a group of women out walking, for example, just walking along and chatting, putting the world to rights. Or I might be out with my husband and see a group of women in the pub howling with laughter about something silly. I don't have that close female friendship anymore. Someone to go for coffee with or go for a walk with, and I crave it and miss it so much. I don't know how to go about making new friends at my age. Everyone seems to have established their groups of friends. Again, pity the person who has no one to help them up. But it's not just women it impacts. Um, Here is an account, oh, I lost a picture there, from a 35-year-old man. He says, from the outside looking in, my life seemed in good shape. I have a decent job, an attractive wife, and a loving family, and I'm part of a large church. The reality is, in fact, quite different. Seemingly every waking hour is spent trying to please someone else, my boss, my wife, my children. My church is placing greater and greater demands on me, either from the pulpit 
or wanted me to get more involved in church activities. I have plenty of contacts, plenty of people that I talk to regularly, but no friends. No one to shoot the breeze with, no one to open up with, and no one to laugh with. I'm incredibly busy, and yet at the same time, incredibly lonely. Pity the person who has no one to help them up. And finally, let's not forget our older folk among us, where, again, the survey suggests that around two-fifths of older people, that's approaching four million people in the UK, say that television is their main company, and that 17% of older people are in contact with family, friends, and neighbours less than once a week, and 11% are in contact less than once a month. It's quite a sobering, isn't it, and somewhat depressing picture of the state of our human relationships across our land. And it plays out not only in mental well-being, which thankfully is being raised much higher in the spectre, but also in physical ways too. Again, research tells us that the less integrated we are with our community, the more likely we are to experience colds, heart attacks, strokes, cancer, depression, and indeed premature death of all sorts. It's said that loneliness has the same physical impact on us as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Wow. That's a nice start to the day, isn't it, really? (laughs) But there is good news. There is good news. The good news is it does not have to be like that. We have the solution. Or rather, we're part of the solution. Probably the best remedy for loneliness is friendship. If you remember the first part of those verses that we read earlier, spoke of two being better than one. That might be a literal two, or it might relate to any number that's greater than one. What is clear is that collaboration and teamwork and friendship is something to be desired, to be honoured, and to be developed. There are examples of great and deep friendship scattered throughout the Bible. I just want to pick up a couple very quickly. In 2 Kings 2, we can see the depth of the friendship between Elijah and Elisha. In verse 2, we read, Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, the Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Now, Elisha was fully aware that the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven but he wanted to spend every last minute that he possibly could with Elijah before he went. And then likewise from Job 11, we read, When Job's three friends, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuite, and Zophar the Namathite, heard about all the troubles that had come upon him, they set out from their homes and met together by agreement to go and sympathise with him and comfort him. Those friends were not prepared to leave Job to suffer alone. Rather, they were prepared to put aside going to the pub or washing the car or watching the football and come together to support and comfort him. Now, I'll leave it for you to decide how well they succeeded, but regardless of the outcome, they were there by Job's side. They weren't going to let him be alone. And there's something really special about a Christian friendship, I think. It has a dimension and a depth that other friendships simply can't have. In Hebrews 10.25, says that as Christians, we should come together frequently, eager to encourage and urge each other onwards. And that same call comes also from 1 Thessalonians 5.11, where again we're told to encourage the hearts of your fellow believers and to support one another. But I don't think the Bible only wants us just to have Christian friends. 
I think there's a good deal more general advice given about what good friendship looks like. We take Proverbs 18, 24. It says, one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. I came across this story by way of illustration. Um, This is an older gentleman who wrote this. It says, after my wife of 44 years died, I didn't feel the urge to socialize. But that didn't stop my friend Tony from inviting me to join a group of guys who get together every Thursday for dinner. I told him I wasn't ready. He called again the next week, and I said no. He kept calling every week, and finally I said, okay, I'll go, anything, just to stop you calling me. It's now been six years since my wife died, and thanks to Tony, I've been going to dinner every week with a gang we've dubbed Romeo. That's retired old men eating out. (laughs) I think I might try that myself. Tony was a friend, prepared to stick closer than a brother. He was not going to let his friend be on his own. Proverbs 17.17 reinforces that when it says a friend loves at all times. So friendship is not just for when things are going well. It's important to be there to be able to pick someone up when things aren't going so well. I don't know about you, but sometimes it can be quite difficult kind of to stand by and watch your friend of yours making what appears to be very poor life decisions. But even if things do go wrong and we think they're going to go wrong, actually what Proverbs 17.17 is saying is that we need to stand with them in friendship, ready to lift them back up. Maybe the most well-known verse about friendship comes from John 15, 13, where it says that greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Now, thankfully, most of us, it's unlikely that 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 we'll be literally called to do that. I don't know, but it's unlikely. But what it does seem is this verse is expecting us to put the desires and the wills and the needs of other people before those of our own. It's, it's, a, it's a reflection, isn't it, of the Philippians chapter 2, where we're told not only to think about our own interests, but also to think about the interests of others. And friendship takes time, and it may cost, but it's not a one-way street. Just as we're able to help others, hopefully they'll be there to help us, help us through our own times of difficulty, to pick us up, or to encourage us to even greater heights. And Proverbs 27, 17 sets out another benefit of friendship when it says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. And again, this is something that I've really found in my own life. Um, Friendships have really impacted me. They've introduced me to new ideas and experiences. They've stretched my thinking and undoubtedly changed me for the better. In Hebrews 10, 24, the Passion Version of the Bible says that we are to discover creative ways to encourage others and to motivate them towards acts of compassion. Now, whilst that is a verse probably directed primarily at Christians, I can, I think, also has a wider application for us too. Okay, now Tom was here last week, and he said he'd run three marathons. Um, I can't compete with that, but I have run one. Um, And that was actually quite a long while ago now, and much of the detail of that has faded. Um, But when you... When you go to a marathon, there are a few things that stick in my, my mind. They give you loads of advice when you first get there. And the two bits of advice that I, that I remember to this day, the first one is don't get carried away with the excitement and start off running too fast, because that's what most people do. You start off. And second one 
is to make sure that you wear your name prominently on your running shirt. Didn't really know why, but they were the bits of advice I was given. And it was actually that second piece of advice that helped me get through to the very end. Because largely as a result of ignoring the first bit of advice, I reached the embankment, which is, you're getting onto about the Houses of Parliament then, and you're about 25 miles or so, you're almost done, you've got to go there, you turn right, up to Buckingham Palace, and and it's all over. So I arrived there, ahead of schedule, but almost at a standstill. Um, I had people dressed as toilets and telephone boxes and various other fancy dressed outfits going past me at this great rate of knot. And all I could do was just to trudge forward very slowly. Uh, And it was at that point that I caught the eye of a lady that I did not know, I'll probably never ever see again. And she shouted this to me. She said, come on, Alan, you can finish this. And that was the encouragement that I needed to keep going that last mile or so and complete the race. I don't know whether she was a Christian or not, but her encouragement is an example straight out of Hebrews 10, 24. So what can we do? Um, I said earlier that loneliness does not have to be the issue that it appears to be across the country and that we are part of the solution. So what are some of the things that we can do either to help prevent loneliness or to help when we're aware that people have become lonely? Firstly, is just to be on the lookout. Who's the person standing on their own at the end of the church service while others chat noisily in their own social circles? Who's the person in your street that's just moved in, just had a baby, dealing with a difficult situation? Who's the person in the supermarket queue that appears muddled or indecisive? Let's be on the lookout. Let's make some simple conversations. Say hello to people when you're out. If you have a moment, talk about their baby or their dog or their shopping. Simple interaction is shown to lift the spirit. And as a young mum said, you may be the only person that day that they've spoken to that does not have dribble on their chin. So make sure you haven't when you go out. (laughs) When you speak to people, be positive. Remember Ephesians 4.29. Speak what is helpful in building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Think about doing something small. Invite them into your social circle. Introduce them to other people that you know. Ask them to go out for a coffee or a walk. Again, remember that older lady who'd lost all her female friends. Or invite them over for a meal. Listen well. Be interested in the sort of things that they say. Acknowledge that you've understood. Meet them where they are. People don't always want to be provided with your proposed solution. Um, I particularly direct that to men who often want to do that and want to solve a problem rather than listen. Sometimes we just need to listen. And get to know them better. Ask questions about them and their own life and share parts of your own life with them too. And finally, I just want to say as Christians, we can never really ever be alone. Time and time again, God promises to be with us and to be close with us. Isaiah 41.10 says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Similarly, in Psalm 23, it says that even when we walk through the shadow of death, God is with us. And in Deuteronomy... And Hebrews 13.5, they both remind us that God will never leave us 
and never forsake us. In a moment, we'll sing our next song, and that speaks of us being befriended by the King above all kings. But if you feel as if there's no one in your life to pick you up, then please do not do what I did and keep that to yourself. Share it with someone. If you want prayer about loneliness, wisdom for how to reach someone who is lonely or for anything else, then remember the prayer team will be available as usual after the service. Or feel free to chat to an elder or someone else that you know, but don't keep it to yourself. It's not one of the things that we should do. Okay, before we move on to sing that next song, um, let's just pray first of all uh, and just ask God to be with us as we prepare our hearts for communion. Father God, we live in a country, we live in a world um, where loneliness seems to be on the increase. Father, we see those statistics, we hear those stories, and it saddens our heart, as I'm sure it saddens yours. But Lord, we would really pray that we would be able to be part of that solution, Lord, that we would seek out people um, who appear to be lonely, Lord, and just to, to be part, to be a friend to them, Lord, to help pick them up. Father, we would ask that you'd give us words of wisdom, you'd give us insight into those people to approach. And Father, we ask too, if we are indeed lonely ourselves, Lord, that we will be able to seek help from you and from others, Father, that we may not continue um, in that position, but Lord, that we may be integrated and find a friendship group um, that will really help us. Father, I thank you that you are with us, Lord. I thank you that you never leave us or forsake us, and that as Christians we are never alone because you are by our side. And Father, we would just ask... Um, that for those who may be feeling lonely this morning, that you would just be with them in a really special way, that they would know you right by their side, or that you would be holding their hands, that you would be carrying them, that you would be lifting them. Father, just let people know that you are there. Father, we just thank you that you are. We thank you that you experience that um, yourself, Lord, and therefore are able to empathize with us. And we ask, Father, that we would continue to grow in friendship and unity as we seek to move forward in your name. Amen.